This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Beginning in verse 31 of chapter 13. Heaven and earth will pass away, said Jesus, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour when I come back, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midday or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Pray with me, please. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. O rock and our redeemer, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to be seated. So something you may or may not know about me. I'm not a fan of treadmills. I don't like them. I get dizzy on them. I can't run on them for long. And we have a sordid past. I've had a couple of fights with treadmills. I did not win. <laughs> now, that's not the only reason that I'm not a fan of them, but it didn't help the cause. I'll tell you that much. Uh, though it did enhance my deep respect for treadmills, while also making me aware of my youthful stupidity. Um, so I've been thrown off a treadmill a time or two, if you were curious, in my day. One time, I, I maxed out that treadmill, and I thought, ma'am, I'm going to run as fast as I possibly can without holding on. I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> um, it shot me out pretty quick. There was a mark or two left on me and the wall. Uh, there was another time uh, when I literally I forgot what I was doing. I forgot that I was running on a treadmill. And it's one of those things that you can't just forget you're doing. The treadmill, is, it's not forgiving. There are ramifications for forgetting that you are running on something that is moving before you, that is a machine. The treadmill won again. If you're keeping score, treadmill two, Dan zero. There's something that you've got to do on a treadmill. You have to deliberately get off. You have to be aware that you're on a treadmill to begin with. There is a certain amount of respect that's due to the treadmill, right? Well, the holiday season can be a treadmill. Now, for some, it's been going. Now, for others, it's about to ramp up and it's about to get to full speed. And it is carrying us along and it carries us with an energy and with a speed. There's been a reorientation to our lives that happens during this time of year. We have been formed to expect it. This is what we have been told, December. This is what December feels like. This is what it feels like coming into the holiday seasons. It's going to be at a frantic pace. Whether it's a holy thing or a secular thing, 
We can stack hands on this. There's no argument here. We know that coming into the season, it's going to be fast. This is what December and Christmas feels like, whether we like it or not, or so we're told. Sometimes the changes and the reorientations that happen to us, we, we expect them. It's December. It's coming. Uh, sometimes they come before we know it and we find ourselves in the mix of it. And before we know it, we're flat on our backs, wondering how we got here. Why are we so tired? Why are we so exhausted? Why do we feel so spent during this season that's supposed to be so beautiful and good and holy? But does it have to be that way? Uh, don't we have a say in how we do life? Uh, don't we have a say in how we prepare for, how we orient ourselves into this season? Is there a different way to do Advent? Is there a way to do Holy Advent, an Advent that is set apart, an Advent that is done well, an Advent that is done different than the energy of this season? Uh, this is the question I've been sitting in when I've I've uh, been thinking about what does it look like to finish this year well? Because there is a difference between busy and full. Uh, one feels out of control, like you're on a treadmill that's running way too fast, and the other, full, it feels intentional, it feels life-giving. And so the question I've been asking is, what does a full and beautiful Advent look like for me, for you, for us? My hope for this Advent season is to point us to a different direction, a different way of being in this season, a different way of orienting our lives to a better hope and to a better reality that we get to take hold of and possess as the people of God. The liturgical calendar is really a sweet tool for the life of the church in this season. It marks a time, a change in the season. The beginning of Advent is a time of slowing down. It's a time of looking toward the coming of Christ, a time of expectation, a time of repentance, a time of watchfulness, a time of waiting. And here are three big questions in this time, in this season, that I want us to think through that are going to shape the rest of our time together. What are we waiting for? Who are we waiting for? And how are we to wait? First, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the better hope, the better way to do life, the, the better way, the better thing to trust our lives to. Uh, one thing that gets played up a lot in this season is this desire that we all have within us, this desire for the magical, this desire for the miracle, this desire for the hope. It's in the air, right? It's in the movies, that are playing all around us. And yes, I'm talking about those repackaged Hallmark movies. It is in the air, both those new movies and the old. Uh, there is this play up that happens throughout our advertisements, throughout uh, the promise of the toys, the trinkets, the festivities, the parties, the bells, everything. Where there's these key phrases and slogans that take a life of their own. But why? Maybe, maybe it's because we have this innate sense we all carry that things are not the way they should be, that this world is broken, uh, that there is suffering, and that that pain is real, and what you see in this season is something to hope in. 
you see in this season with, with these hopes, these wishes, is this hope for something that can heal. The hope for something that can fulfill our lives and give us purpose. The hope for something that can cure our brokenness, that can make us come alive and believe. Uh, there's the word you see often in this season. Just believe. The world's full of answers of what we should believe in. Uh, do we want to jump on that treadmill again, though? How are those answers doing for us? Are they, are they big enough for us to carry the weight of our hopes, to carry the weight of our expectations? Are they substantive enough uh, to be the thing that we are hoping for? Believing in, is there a better way this season? Is there a better hope? Is there a better what we are waiting for in the form of a who? Now I realize that sounded like Dr. Seuss. I'm not going there. But I am talking about the who in the person of Jesus the Christ. The second person of the Trinity, Emmanuel, God with us. Who are we waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus. In Advent, there is the time of preparation that we look for the first coming of Christ on this timeline. The receiving of Jesus in the incarnation. Looking forward to celebrate Jesus as a baby. You may have set up some of those manger scenes in your houses this week like we did. This is the leading up to Christmas. It's a time of anticipation of God's extravagant love that we see poured out in the person of Jesus coming to take on flesh and be among us. In Philippians 2, Paul talks about it this way. He humbled himself to the position of a slave, leaving the divine privileges aside to become a baby, a human being. God with us, Emmanuel. We look for his coming. There's also another coming that we talk about in Advent. Uh, it's this thing that we're waiting for, this thing that we're looking for, this thing that we're preparing for, and it's his second coming. The second coming of Jesus, watching and waiting. This is something we've been talking about over the past month, where the gospel reading took us this morning in Mark 13. It said, be on guard, be on alert. Watch, wait, because Christ will come again. And when he comes, uh, we won't know what that day or hour is. But when he comes, he's going to set all things to rights. When he comes, it's the thing we've been looking for. In the face of our pain, in the face of our suffering, injustice and death, it is the great hope of all believers. So watch and wait, because Christ is coming again. There's a third coming, though that I wanna mention this morning that is made possible because of the first, and that is the coming of Christ in the heart of the believer this season. Be it for the first time or be it anew, this is the great hope for all of us and the great hope for the world that Christ is made alive in the people of God, that Christ comes alive in the church. Now follow me for a minute, we're uh, gonna jump into our first reading. This was the cry of the people of Israel. It was captured in Isaiah. It was the, the, the big theme of Isaiah uh, chapter 60 through 66 where you see them crying out for God's intervention saying, God, please step into this story. And the reading begins in verse 1 and it says this with an ask, God, rend open the heavens and come down. It was a call to make yourself known, God, as you did in the days of old. They're looking back to the Exodus story, the people of God, and they're pointing to a time when God intervened for the people of God and brought about a salvation for the people of God. 
where God's enemies shook in fear when God was on top of that mountain, where verse 3 reads this, God did awesome things that we did not expect. You came down and the mountains trembled before you. The prophet was pointing to when the people of Israel are in Babylon in captivity. They're in exile away from their true homes. And they will cry out for God to come in power, for God to intervene. They're crying out for the heavens to be rent open. In this longing, in this time of waiting, they're going to find themselves, they're longing for a new exodus. Longing for God to come as their salvation. You see throughout the writings of Isaiah 2, though, that it was the humble and it was the repentant who would experience salvation and who would experience blessings when God did faithfully come because God would come and restore his people. We see this in verses 4 through 7. They take us there this morning. But when he continued to sin, you were angry, God. How then can we be saved is the question. All of us have become like One who is unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags, literally garments that are stained, garments that are defiled, garments that are sinful and unclean, unable to be in the presence of the holy because of this. Verse 7 then goes, you've hidden your face from us, Lord, and we're just going to waste away because of our sins. And a quick recap, the people are in need, crying out, God, intervene, please, God, intervene, recognizing their own sin and brokenness and recognizing that even their righteous acts, now don't miss that word, don't miss that word, it means what you think it means, their acts were set apart, their acts were done unto the Lord, they were good, they were trying to be good, they were trying to do holy, their right acts were but filthy rags, knowing that this holy God can have no part in them. And yet, and yet, verse 8 says this, and yet, O Lord, you are our Father. This was a call to their covenant reality and history. This was a call to their relationship with God the Father. It was a call to that relationship where God adopted to himself a people. We see this in chapter 63 of Isaiah where he reminds them what his name is. God, Redeemer, is his name. We are sinful people. We're broken. We are in need. Yet, Lord, you are our Father if we humble ourselves Uh, We ask, do not remember our sins. This is from verse 9. We are the clay, you are the potter. And by the way, Redeemer is your name. This is our great hope. The people of Israel in captivity look toward a Redeemer to come, longing, waiting, anticipating. Oh, Lord, come down, intervene, enter the story again. What's all this pointing to? Ultimately, the same thing that we're looking for and longing for, the coming of Christ. Coming in ways that we do not expect. Verse 3, as a baby, as a child, rend open the heavens, 
Come down, Lord. This is for our salvation. This doing what we cannot do for ourselves. And we see at the baptism of Christ the rending open of heaven. And we see the Holy Spirit coming down in power on Jesus. The rending open of heaven and God coming with us where God is saying, this is your salvation, my son that has come. This is your hope. And his name is Redeemer. Yes, we are sinful. And this unexpected son has made a way for us, the clay, to be restored in the potter's hands. Do you see it? All of this is pointing to the hope in Jesus' birth, his life, his message, and his ministry. And all of this inevitably leads us to the cross, the death, and the resurrection. And his coming, it creates a way for the lost sheep, his lost sheep, to find a way back to the Father. It creates a way for us to be called sons, for us to be called daughters, for us to be called the beloved of Christ, to be found in right relationship with the God of the universe. This coming was an answer to the deep longing and thirst in our hearts and souls. This longing is the embodied love and hope for a people asking desperately for joy, for acceptance, for longing, for a meaning, a miracle, longing for a hope, for something to believe in. This Advent season, there is a coming that we are preparing for, a birthing of Christ in us, changing us, naming us. We find ourselves in this world, this world that is not our home, but it is our home. And often we feel like we're in exile to the world's ways and means of doing things, like we're running frantically on a treadmill of life and this season, and we're crying out for heaven's doors to be rent open and for God to set all things to rights. Come, Lord Jesus. And yet we wait, and we wait expectantly, looking and longing for the light of the world to come. So how do we make a full and beautiful advent? This section of Isaiah this morning was given as a guide to start us on our way. Not just as a guide for the exiles toward repentance, back to their maker. No, it was a guide for all the people of God who are longing for home and longing for the end of captivity and longing for the end of the oppressive reach of the enemy and death. Longing for Christ. Our shifting of the confession to the front end of the service this season was intentional. It's a penitential season of preparation. It is a time of reflection, a time of honesty, a time of inventory, a time of adjustment. To get off the treadmill, you've got to be intentional. And the best place to start is in honesty. The best place to start is in confession. While we hold out and remember this better hope that we have before us. We can be honest with our great need, our great brokenness, with our sin, because we have a great God whose name is Redeemer. Repentance begins this service. It begins Advent. Isaiah was a, a reorienting the people toward the majesty of God. Let us be captured also by the majesty of God this season, who has done and is doing the unexpected. When we have a big picture of God, we see ourselves as we are, and this inevitably leads us to 
repentance. It leads us to our knees. We realize that we are the clay and he is the potter. Uh, This then requires humility. This then requires a submission to the potter's work. God the potter, by the way, is at work in your life and in your story. He always has been through the dark, through the hard, through the difficult. He has been through the good, through the heroic. God has always been at work in you. This invitation during this season is a season to slow down, is to intentionally put your hands or put yourself in the hands of the maker uh, maybe you've, you've lived a life recently of trying to seize control and take, take your life into your own hands where I want to say this is a season of repentance. Put your hands back in the maker's hands. Submitting and hoping in the thing that the people of God have hoped in to for all of eternity. And that is God himself. And finally, keep watch. Jesus spoke to his disciples two millennia ago. He said, keep watch. He spoke to us today and tomorrow. Keep watch, prepare, anticipate, be alert this Advent season. Now, this isn't a lazy watching and waiting. This isn't this passive like you're watching Netflix or some movie at home. No, it's active. There's an energy, but it is a different energy than the energy of the world. It's an energy to put uh, to effort involved in cultivating a relationship. We all know what that feels like, to, to put in time, to put in the space into a relationship. Jesus expected it from his disciples to make space. Jesus showed them. He watched, or they watched him as he made space. They picked it up, what he prioritized, what he set apart. He said, be prepared. Put on Holy Spirit, put on Jesus. Be active in our waiting this Advent season. Prioritize space for Jesus this Advent. Carve out time to pray. Spend time in the word uh, to worship and cultivate time of being with Jesus. This has to be intentional. Solitude, silence, scripture reading, singing. This has to be intentional. The cultivating of any relationship has to be intentional. There is a dance that's going on that we are invited into, this dance of this trinity, but we have to make space for it so that we would experience and know Holy Spirit growing in us, transforming in us, making us new so that we can sit and listen to God the Father as he rejoices over us with his singing, as he looks on you, his his image bears and says, I am going to send my son as the redeemer because redeemer is my name and I want my people to know how much I love them. We have to sit in that. We have to know that from the depths of who we are. Dare this Advent season to do it differently. We have such a great hope, but in the busyness of things, it can get clouded and hurried. Be deliberate This time leading into Christmas. Keep watch, Scripture says. Be on guard. And let us with a vigilance uh, hope and keep our eyes looking on the horizon, looking for Christ to come, looking for the sun to set again because it will set again and Christ will come again. And the potter is shaping his people to experience that great joy, experience that great light, and experience that great life. How do we make a good and beautiful Advent? 
We take hold of Jesus this season. What would it look like if we chose a different way? What would it look like to choose the better way for our families? How would our families, how would our neighbors, how would they experience us this season if we started and continued into this rhythm of repentance, of submission, and and we prioritize the cultivation of our relationship with Christ? What would that look like? The king, the king's coming again. Let us be intentional with this Advent season. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, give us the eyes to see you this season as you are. As we prepare to celebrate your first coming and we look again for your coming again, God, we are so captured in gratitude because of your mercy, your generosity, your kindness, and your faithfulness. Your name is Redeemer. Create in us new hearts this season, Lord, as we watch, as we wait for you to come again. Draw near to our souls with your presence and light. And show us those dark places you are calling your light into this Advent season. In Christ's name, amen.